Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible answer man in his book called The Covering, comes out swinging in this matter of spiritual warfare when he writes, one of the inescapable realities of the Christian worldview is that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in, in the heavenly realms. Put another way, you and I are engaged in a war against an invisible enemy. And as with our war on terrorism, the West is suddenly preoccupied with finding strategies for winning this invisible war. Amazon.com now lists more than 500 titles on spiritual warfare. And the internet search engine Google has identified 50,000 plus references to Christian spiritual warfare. As Christian scholar Dr. Clinton Arnold has well said, at no time in the history of the church has more been written about the topic of spiritual warfare than in the past decade. It appears that more Christians are thinking about spiritual warfare now than they have for at least a couple of centuries. Our question this morning is this, but are we thinking biblically? He goes on to write this, tragically, the fascination with demons in the culture at large has now led to a robust deliverance movement within evangelicalism. As anthropologist Michael Cuneo explains, one would be hard-pressed to come up with a better scheme. Whatever one's personal problem, depression, anxiety, substance addiction, or even runaway sexual appetite, there are exorcism ministries available today that will happily claim expertise for dealing with it. With the significant bonus, moreover, that one is not, for the most part, held personally responsible for the problem. Indwelling demons are mainly to blame, and getting rid of them is the key to moral and psychological redemption. Well, the question that we want to identify or surface this morning is this. What is God's plan to enable you to stand against the devil's schemes? There are lots of books, lots of articles, lots of different plans. But what is God's plan? So I invite you to open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 6. There's a section of scripture there that is as concentrated and as useful and as helpful a strategy for winning the battle of spiritual warfare as there is in all the world. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Quite honestly, the mixture of Hollywood, subjective testimonies, experiences, and anecdotal driven uh, strategies combined with our tendency to look for sort of a quick fix and quick solution to everything have, have led many churches, many evangelical churches, to embrace very inadequate strategies for combating the enemy, the evil one, in this matter we call spiritual warfare. Quite simply, I want to state this, that spiritual warfare is not an event, it's a Christian lifestyle. And that, I believe, is how the Apostle Paul pre presents it to us at the end of this great letter to the Ephesians, whereby he has told us at the very beginning what we have in our address, which is in Christ. And because our address is in Christ, 
There are certain benefits, certain assets, certain amenities that come with that. And that's what we find, what we encounter at the end of his letter. God's plan to enable you to stand against the devil's schemes. It's not an elaborate program, a programmed event. It's not a scheme of men. It is, in fact, a battle plan of God uh, for your um, strength and for your day-to-day victory. Now, we fully acknowledge there is a battle raging. In fact, in the text itself, it talks about the struggle in verse 12 and the schemes of the evil one and so that you can win on, on the day when, when evil comes, so that not if, but when. So there's no question that the Bible fully admits and fully acknowledges that, that we are in a battle, but what is um, up for grabs, it would seem, is how that battle is to be faced. And I really, as always, want to urge you and encourage you to find your strategies for life in the scriptures. If you must have a companion book on this matter, I would suggest that this one called The Covering by Hank Hanegraaff, it's a small little book with uh, a very biblical perspective. I would welcome you to have that on your shelf, but that might be about it. And your Bible. Your Bible first. And your Bible most. Let's uh, look into the Bible and let's find out. So we're not just talking about my ideas or... Google ideas or Amazon.com ideas, but what is the idea that is given to us by the Holy Spirit of God? Because that's really what matters, isn't it? Are you convinced? All right. Thank you, Pastor Calvin, for leading the charge. He's located in a different place today. I'm not sure what that's all about. He's just making his way around the church. Anyway... Here's the text. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of God. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity that we have today in this text. In this uh, uh, most um, critical aspect of life, Uh, in Christ, that we might be victorious over 
the battle that rages against us and against the, the kingdom of, of God. I pray, O oh Father, that we might be warriors armed and equipped with the word of God and the power of the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we might recognize that uh, what you are providing for us here is the resources available to every one of us. This is not for the somehow superstar Christian or whatever. This is the every Christian life. This is the, the, the normal Christian life is to be able to stand firm against the evil one. So I pray, Father, that we might take this seriously this morning. This is your plan. This is your strategy for success, for victory. Uh, may we look no further than here. This is a sufficient uh, text of Scripture that will enable us to live victoriously. And I pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, so you've got your Bibles open. I want you to notice that there are t- two key starting points uh, that we need to understand in terms of what we need for this battle. And it will shape all the rest of, of what we find in the text for spiritual warfare. In other words, how can we continue to enjoy all of the benefits that we should enjoy, all the amenities that we should enjoy, when our address is in Christ? When your address is in Christ, there is uh, great power available to you. In fa- and, and in particular, complete protection against the schemes of the evil one. Do you see this? Complete protection. You can have victory if you respond to what is taught here in the scriptures. If you embrace what you have here, you can live victoriously against the enemy. If you choose not to, you will be swept away. The two key starting points are are these. First, The battle is not against people, it's against power. Do you see that? Our battle is not against, it's not against people. If it was against people, we would have strength in ourselves to deal with the battle. But the battle is against power. The battle is against something stronger than us. We must not minimize the strength of the forces that are arrayed against us. It's not human. You don't have enough strength in yourself to win this battle. In fact, unbelievers are completely powerless to win this battle. God's people do not, in their own strength, have enough power. There's a second aspect of what we need, and it is this. For the believer... Spiritual warfare isn't about having someone expelled or exercised. It's about putting something on and standing your ground, benefiting, in other words, from what you have. The the whole uh, point that's being made here is that you might stand firm, that you might be able to stand your ground. Benefiting from what you have in Christ. In other words, there is a locker room full of armor with your name on it if you are in Christ. That's what this teaches us. It's how are you going to dress every day? Are you going to get up and put this on or are you not? If you get up and put this on, you will have victory that day. The strategy isn't deliverance from the dominion of darkness. That's where we used to live. We've already been delivered from the dominion of darkness. 
Ephesians 2, 2, Ephesians 5, 8. That's where we used to be, the realm of unbelief. It is defense through discipleship. It is advanced through dependence daily on Christ. The tools and resources that we need are already available to us. The reality of our salvation is not only that we are owned by Christ, but that Christ has moved into us. Not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in us. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. Is this not still true? Absolutely it's true. There are scriptural steps to victory. And that's what I want to present to, to you here this morning. Notice what it says right off the top in verse 10. You need to be strong because your battle's not against people, it's against power. That's why it says here, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. That um, verb there, to be strong, is a present passive verb. Very, very instructional for us. It means keep becoming strong in the Lord. Not of your own strength, but be strong as he strengthens you. This, this idea of passive is we are being made continually strong by the Lord if we respond to his word. If we practice what we are being taught here, we are going to be made strong in the Lord. And it's necessary for us to be strong in the Lord. And our address in Christ comes with power. Uh, we, become conti we continue to become continuously strong. That's the idea. It's not an event it's a lifestyle. It's a Christian lifestyle. It's not some sort of religious incantations. It is abiding by the principles of Scripture that are taught here in this text. And what are they? This is it. Are you ready? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Put on the full armor of God. You wear the Jesus jersey every day. This is not new language to us as we've been studying the book of Ephesians, is it? We were told to put on Christ. That's all he's saying. He's saying it again, but he's saying it in a different way. He's illustrating it in a way that uh, for, for a first century audience who fully understood what a soldier looked like, what someone going into battle dressed like, we understand what that looks like. We understand how soldiers prepare themselves for combat. And he's telling us, he's calling on us to understand that if you're going into battle, you better have your battle gear on. You better be ready. But it's no, nothing different than actually putting on Christ. Every day we put him on. We're going to talk about how, that, how we do that. How do we put on Christ? Uh, wearing our Jesus jersey. Now, um, it, guys will understand this and some of the ladies will as well, but it's Sort of like the difference between playing shinny and full contact hockey. You know what I'm talking about? You know what shinny is? Shinny is playing hockey without any equipment on. And there's a reason that it's called shinny. Because you usually get hurt on your shins. Because you have nothing covering, no padding on your legs. And there's always somebody in the crowd who doesn't keep the puck on the ice and lifts it up and nails you in the shins. And it's called shinny. There's sort of an understanding gentleman's agreement in playing shinny. Keep the puck on the ice and keep your sticks on the puck and not on my shin. You know, that's how you play. There's some guys that remain nameless that you just can't play shinny with around here because <laughs> at least you're going to come out with a few bruises. It's simple as that. But full contact hockey, we all understand the rules of full contact hockey is... You can get 
nailed anywhere, so you better put your equipment on. You better cover everything that needs to be covered because it's free game. <laughs> don't, don't give me a throat sign. You need to just cover as much. You should see what I look like now when I play hockey. I'm like a, I'm like a, a robot. I'm like, it's, it's crazy. But anyway, you, you have to put on the... So this is what we're talking about here is we are playing a game of life for keeps, and the enemy is playing full contact hockey. He's taken no survivors, and you've got to put on the full armor of God. Now, since Satan has lost ownership of our lives upon salvation and can't possess our bodies because the Holy Spirit owns our bodies, his scheme is to lure us into acting like him instead of acting like Christ. He wants to disconnect you from God as best he can, so you will be disconnected from the power and resources that come from being strong in the Lord. Don't lose sight of that. It's critical. So how are we to stand? Well, if you're looking at your Bibles, you will notice, first of all, we are to put on the belt of truth. We are to put on the belt of truth. Now, um, those of us at middle age know that when you put on a belt, it's really to kind of hold all the things together. That's what the belt of truth is for. It just holds it all together as best you can. And the belt of truth is so that we no longer tell the lies of Satan, rather we fight lies with what is true. That's what this is all about, every day of our lives. Listen, Satan isn't interested in getting you to bark like a dog or hiss like a viper. What he is interested in getting you to do is lie like a rug. He wants, because he's the father of lies, he's, he's not interested in making it dramatically obvious that he's the focus of what's wrong. He wants to make you the focus of what's wrong so that others will see you failing the Lord Jesus. When um, the encounter, when Job encountered Satan, that whole event in the book of Job, Satan wasn't looking to jump inside of Job's body and run the show. All he wanted to make happen is for Job to curse God. That's all he wanted. And so he worked through Job's wife. You remember what she said? Remember what instructions she gave him? Job, why don't you just curse God and die? That's exactly what Satan wanted him to do. He wants you to see, he wants to see the truth tumble in your life and for you to lead the charge against the Lord. He wants you to join with the choruses of the culture who are saying, did God really say this? Does the Bible really mean that? That's what he's looking to do. He's looking to get you to believe and buy into the lies. Let God's people kill truth. Secondly, we're supposed to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is simply the right ways of God in a wrong ways world offered by Satan. The great prize is not to steal our bodies, but to take away our righteousness. That's, that's the great victory he's looking for. 
He's looking for us to deny the right ways of God and to live in the wrong ways of the world. What he's looking for is to have you live like a hypocrite. That will do more damage than if he were to jump inside of your body and cause you to writhe on the ground. That will do more damage. How many of us in here, and I would guess it's almost all of us, have some friend or some acquaintance who says, you know what, I'm having a problem with Christianity because I know that Christian or I know that Christian. And if that's what a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. How many of us know people like that? We know people like that. We've been ministering to people for years who've been turned away by someone who claims to be a follower of, the, of Christ and doesn't live like him. That's exactly what Satan wants to get. He wants to get us to drop the righteousness. Don't live in the right ways of God. Anyone can declare themselves a Christian, but only those who put on the breastplate of righteousness every day of their lives are living like one. So the breastplate of righteousness is really moving from declaration to discipleship. Declaring who I am, a quick drive-by deliverance, does not do that. Without the disciplines of discipleship, our lives will surely be shipwrecked. What else? I notice here in verse 15 that we're supposed to put on our feet the gospel of peace, the steadfastness on the good news, which makes us ready to resist all alternatives. You realize that in embracing the gospel, the good news of salvation, that we've been, we've been made to be at peace with God. Satan wants to, to bring a wedge into that and make us at odds with God. He wants to put into our mind ideas and thoughts that, well, your, your salvation really isn't working out that well for you. What, what's God really doing for you? Satan wants to put us at odds with that peace so that we will turn from the Lord to other easier solutions or what seem to be easier solutions, rather than stand firm. And if we, turn, if we don't stand firm on the things that we believe about the good news of the gospel, our, our feet will become shaky and we'll turn and we'll run away rather than stand firm, which we're called to stand firm. You remember Peter, Peter tried to talk Jesus out of Calvary. I don't mean this church. I mean the place of crucifixion. And he'll try to talk you out of Calvary as well. He'll tell, try to tell you that this salvation deal, this Christian deal is too hard. And we're called to stand firm in the storms because we can. Because we remember what we have in Christ. We remember what our address is. We remember who whose we are and who lives in us. Otherwise, we'll look for a fleshly solution. A solution that isn't really a solution at all. Fourthly, we're to cover ourselves with the shield of faith so you can detect all the proposed doubts the devil hurls your way. You know, this is, a, this is not some little tiny shield. This is a... This is a, a full-size, full body-size shield. When we're talking about Roman soldiers, they, they had uh, big um, rectangular shields that they could put in front of them and cover their whole body. And um, these were not just defensive, but these also were useful offensively. 
because they could bring their buddies with their body-sized shields and they could line them all up and everybody was covered and protected and you could move forward against the, the arrows and the, and, and the darts and all the, uh, all the things that were being hurled your way. This is what's being called for here, this shield of faith. But what does it really mean, the shield of faith? It means standing firm on what you really believe is true and believing it. Faith is believing that God is and that he will reward those who diligently seek him. It is standing our ground in the midst of a, of a struggle, of an onslaught and saying, this is what I believe and I believe that what God has promised me is so. You entertain a wedge of doubt in the goodness of God, you will revert to relying on yourself every time. Eve's a classic example. Choose to believe that your God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Choose to believe that if you do move forward for Christ and it takes you away from family, that, that God has promised that you will get more fathers and more mothers and more grandfathers and more grandmothers. Choose to believe that those who sow generously will harvest generously regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what the landscape looks like immediately. It is faith believing that what God has promised, he will deliver. And I put that shield up and I defend myself against the doubts that come my way. And I defend them by belief and by really meaning what I believe. So those are four particular things in our, our our arsenal of, of uh, the garments that we can wear and how we will stand. But this is not just a defensive posture that we have. This is a, a move forward as well. What can we use? Are we just sitting ducks for the enemies, the schemes of the enemy, and all we can do is, is sit defensively? No, no, not at all. And I want to point out to you, by the way, that Paul is marketing this idea of the gospel and God's favor in our lives and peace with God while he himself is imprisoned by the Romans. He's not sitting in some um, recreational or some resort in Florida writing this saying, hey, you know what? Don't worry about bad things. God will take care of you. Listen, he is, he is in the midst of a hardship, in the midst of, of, of challenges to his faith and challenges to his, 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 his confidence in his salvation and challenges to truth and challenges to righteousness. And here he stands, not on theory, but on the reality of what God is presently doing in his life. He's speaking of what he knows himself to be true. And so he says, cover your thinking, verse 17, with the helmet of salvation. The settled condition that salvation belongs to the overcomers. It is critical for you, my brothers and my sisters, that we understand that our salvation is not based upon our comfort or the absence of struggles. If we think that our salvation is only validated by an easy, luxurious, trouble-free life, we will not stay in the game 
But we put on the helmet of salvation and remember that whatever is against us now, whatever is coming upon us now, cannot ultimately touch us because we are saved. We are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and eternity is our destiny. And that's what this helmet, to always put our thinking on, that no matter how it looks in life, uh, we are destined for eternity. We are called overcomers on purpose. To be called overcomers means that there must have to be things that you have to overcome, doesn't it? And that's why I, I want to read for you back in the letter to the churches in Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, in fact, the letter to Ephesus, by the Lord himself. And he said this, verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know, this is a, a tremendous promise to us. The promise that we will overcome, the strength to overcome, and that our salvation or that our life in Christ is not always going to be easy. And that's why we are classified as overcomers. As I said to the group this morning, the, the first group, I said, I'm not, I'm not really big on, on seeing R.I.P., uh, rest in peace with some believer who's gone on to be with the Lord. As much as some of that's true, I'd rather see something like has overcome because that's the truth. We have overcome. We are not, uh, uh, we, we are not um, um, those who, who um, are at peace with death. We have overcome it through Christ Jesus. And regardless of what's happening in your life, the cancer that's ravaging your body, it can only take your body. It can't take your life. This is what the helmet of salvation means to us. That's what it preaches to us. That's what our, how it transforms our thinking. You may be able to take the body, but you can't take my life because by Christ's salvation, I am safe forever and I will be with him forever and I will be alive forever. That's the promise of the text. That's why we put this thinking on our heads, to look past the distress of today to the promises of eternity. Yes, the pain of parting is real, but it's not the end of the movie. It's the end of the beginning. And we're to take solid hold, it says here in the text, of the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit of God pushes His word forth with power. It says here, finally, be strong in the Lord. We are to be well armed by the word of God, but it is important for us to notice here that we are... are, are uh, the only weapons that are promised for us in this work of defeating the enemy, the struggle for our very soul, is the words of God. We need to get this through our hearts and our heads to understand the sufficiency of our victory plan, the strategy, is God's word and taking solid solid hold of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And the reason this is called the sword of the Spirit is because the power of the Spirit of God enacts the words of God to actually affect, change, and whatever God determines that His Word will accomplish. And so it is God's Word not the 500 books written on this subject, not the 50,000 articles written on this topic. It is God's 
word. We are not smarter than God. We are not more culturally enlightened and sophisticated. I'm really getting tired of reading so-called evangelical books that say to the effect, if God only knew what we know in this more culturally enlightened and sophisticated culture, he would not have written the Bible that way. I'm telling you, that just burns me up. It's ridiculous to even give the implication that the sophisticated culture that we live in is, has outgrown the truth of God's word in how we practice our day-to-day living. So we have to have confidence in the sword of the Spirit and what God enables us to do. And then also, as we wrap this up, the text here says, and pray, and pray, and pray, and pray, and pray. Pray so the armor is the power of God and not just personal equipment of the determined mind. This is very, very important for us. A self-sufficient person is not a powerful person. A self-sufficient person who claims to be a believer is not a powerful person or useful as a servant of the Lord. And one of Satan's schemes is if he can't get us to stop believing the Bible, what he can do is maybe stop getting us from being, he can stop us from being connected to the power of God. Satan's schemes play out best against those people who know the truth and believe the truth but are not powered by God. That's why Paul emphasizes prayer at the end of this this garment discussion, this armor discussion. He talks about the powerhouse that is necessary to enact this armor to be powerful in our lives. It is possible for us to try out of our own strength and our own determination and our own disciplined nature, and some people are incredibly disciplined, to study the Word of God and learn everything there is about God and know all the truth you can know and and actually believe all that truth, but not rely on the power of God. You know, it's simply illustrated this way. You know, when you decided to come to church this morning, you got in your car, I presume, and you knew things about the car, you knew what the car can do, you know how it can get you to church and all that kind of stuff, you know all that, and you believe all that. But what did you do? Did you just sit in the car like it's a couch? That wouldn't get you to church. You can know all you want about the car. It won't get you to church until you turn on the key. You have to fire up the power. And so it is in this matter of spiritual warfare and the armor of God. God has promised to give you everything you need, but he won't allow this to work in your strength. He will not. 
The battle is against power, not against people. You can't do this in your own strength. You need the power of God. You need the connection that comes with prayer and calling out to God and saying, Oh God, enable me to have strength to believe what you have stated. Enable me to, to walk in ways of righteousness. Oh God, enable me to, to embrace all of the truth of the gospel. Enable me to, to, to wear the helmet of salvation and, and be an overcomer. Oh God, enable me to trust in the word of God and use it against the, the wiles of the evil one. Oh God, strengthen me by your power. Yes, we have to wear the uniform, but without contact with Christ and trusting in him, we are not engaging the power necessary to win this battle through the strength of God. And I think lots of us put on all kinds of this armor and do it in our own strength and wonder why we are being trampled down by the enemy. He says, pray here, all occasions, all kinds of prayers, always, for all your brothers and sisters. You couldn't emphasize more alls. You see, beloved, here's the deal. A strong church and strong Christians are those who embrace the power of the gospel, which is... God's word and the power to change people's lives, who embrace God's word and its power to change us and practice prayer and connection to God. The concern really here, by the way, isn't about Satan. He's already defeated by Christ. Do you see in this text the concern and throughout the scriptures for believers, the concern is not Satan. He is a defeated enemy. The concern here is the schemes of Satan. And what are the schemes of Satan? The schemes of Satan are to try to get you to live a sinful life instead of a victorious, grace-driven, grace-reliant, spirit-reliant life. That's his, that's his strategy. And there is more said in the Bible by far about our own sins than about Satan. The issue is not Satan, it's our sinfulness. And Satan wants to take you down by inviting you to live in rebellion toward God. And the only strategy that will work is this one, the one that's included in this text. Drive-by deliverance events are no match for God's battle strategy of grace-driven, spirit-powered discipleship. You have the tools. God has the power. And he has given us the tools and he gives us his power to thwart every satanic scheme when your address is in Christ. Our Father, we thank you this morning for... Um, giving us a clear um, strategy for standing firm. There is no excuse, no need for a believer to fall prey to the schemes of the evil one. You have given us an entire wardrobe of success and victory. 
and you have given us the power of the, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, spoke the universe into existence, will empower and impact the word of God in our lives to enable us to be more than conquerors through Christ our Lord. So our Father, we praise you and we thank you this morning for what you have taught us and what you are doing in our life. And we praise you and we thank you now for this opportunity to gather as God's people, God's family around the table of the Lord and to celebrate what was necessary for us to have our address in Christ. And now that it is, Lord, I pray that we might live lives worthy of our calling as we've been challenged by this series in the book of Ephesians. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.